This is the Solutions for Climate Revolution podcast by Namine Solar. My name is Francesca and my guest today is Hazel Englander. Hazel is a reader, writer, passionate cook, foodie, fitness fan, motorbike enthusiast, model and the founder of Now Models, a modern day experienced modelling agency specialising in commercial, corporate and leisure markets. Hazel is a former editorial and Vogue model sporting an exceptional international portfolio with experience and expertise on both sides of the fashion industry as a model and a scout. Hazel, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Francesca. Oh, it's great to have you. And this is a very timely chat as we are almost at the end of London Fashion Week. How do you think the industry has gone from going to catwalk to online? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I think just through necessity, really. Um, And also it's kind of in keeping with the whole recycling thing, because people are watching it again and again and again. Whereas when you do a live catwalk show, it's sort of it's been and gone. Um, It obviously hasn't got the atmosphere, same as the football's back, same as I believe the horse racing's back. Um, But no, I think I think fashion is named precisely that because it follows or sets trends and the trend at the moment is to survive and be on um, digitally or online rather than live and and they've done that magnificently actually I think. Uh, yeah just sticking with your 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 comment about recycling because obviously as you said the fashion industry is a bus- is the business of being up to date and on trend literally setting the trends and deciding what is fashionable. What are your thoughts on how the industry is adapting to consumer awareness and demand for ethical products? And sort of, yeah, how do you think recycling materials is going to come into that, like similar to what charity shops do? Well, I think, again, it's down to the buzzword of the era. And at the moment, um, the buzzword is is recycling and um, sourcing things as much as you can from what's around you um especially with covid because we're in lockdown still just about um in the same way restaurants have sort of used up old stock or used up what's in the cupboards and and us at home um i believe your husband's a chef isn't he so um he's probably doing precisely that you know being innovative and creative with the, with what's in front of you and i think that's what the fashion industry are doing um, they're using up supplies of fabric, um, whatever they have in warehouses or perhaps just in factories that have become redundant during this period, and they're utilising it. And, and in a way, it's quite exciting. I think that is true innovation and that necessity is the mother of invention. And I think that's, that is what differentiates real art, whatever, whether it's cooking or fashion or whatever, from... Um, from anything else real talent because if you can make something out of nothing or you can create something from what's in front of you that truly is um creativity and fashion and innovation and i think that's going on across the board that's such a i I love the saying necessity is the mother of what was it innovation invention necessity (laughs) is the mother of invention is such an old expression um but it's true and you know, whether it's MasterChef or um, the Recycle Shop or um, London Fashion Week, people are getting very creative with scraps. Let's call it scraps. People are getting very uh, creative 
by using and utilizing things in a new way and, and charity shops, whatever, you know, are becoming the vogue now. It's all about recycling. And I think that that trend is being reflected across the arts. It's so encouraging to to hear you say that because I've I've been I've always tried to get by I say always but since I was um, since I was young my mum was a, a manager of a charity shop and when I was younger I was mortified by the fact that I would get garments from charity shops I wanted to be really hip really trendy like go to New Look and Topshop and I think Dorothy Perkins was even around when I was younger so it's but now I just I think I love Dorothy it. Perkins or Dotty Perkins as we call Dottie it in Pete, Liverpool yeah. yeah. Dotty Perkins. Yeah, but it's it's lovely to have um to feel that that's it's that's not a worry now with I think younger generations especially who are so on the trend and it's important to them to be to be so kind of like have their 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 finger on the pulse of of what's fashionable. So I, I love that. Do you think we'll ever see maybe some designers kind of literally taking? clothes from charity shops and sort of making them into new things or do you think it will well, well I, th I think that would be really wonderful because mm -hmm. fashion is just that if if it's fashionable uh to create things from charity shops then that will be what celebrities will wear that's what multi-millionaires will do and and actually i've seen quite a lot of that i've seen some very wealthy women you know rummaging through charity shops or donating to charity shops people are getting a buzz out of recycling out of making things utilizing things making them work so pickling a huge big expensive wardrobe um, or even driving flashy cars it's all becoming a little bit sort of distasteful now and I think people are are getting a buzz out of being more conscious and more and, and doing some good and sporting it as fashion yes i think it, it's a real challenge and i think it's fun as well as very positive i think so yeah it takes that element of of creativity and it, it puts it in the hands of everybody and people don't yes. have the, the the pressure of kind of feeling like oh i have to have this t-shirt that that kate moss was wearing or or yes. some other it's yeah i think yeah, I really hope it's um, definitely the trend that the fashion industry will will, can, will follow. Because, yeah, pun intended, I guess. But it's um... well, well, I think I think uh, creativity doesn't have to mean um, austere. I mean, sorry, frugal, frugality, um, recycling doesn't have to mean austere. Creativity can make it fabulous. It can make it very visually. Um, stimulating lots of little details going on it doesn't have to be pared down it doesn't have to be um straight sort of boring sort of one fabric here and and, and sort of do you know what i'm trying like a utility look after the war that that dior came out with it doesn't have to be it was quite glamorous actually relatively speaking but it can be quite um appear quite extravagant whilst being the complete opposite is what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded way. <laughs> no, I think it's it's great to talk about this because it's I think would you say that what is fashionable at the moment is it like the the kind of I want to say grunge look is that that's is that what's on point at the I moment? I think what's fashionable at the moment is not being fashionable not being <laughs> too fashionable. I think there's an anything goes obviously there are there are fashion and there's trends I mean with lockdown I think it's been what 
what sweatpants you wear, <laughs> depending on what your mood is that day. You know, do you wear the sort of the sort of primarily pink ones because you're feeling a bit like go away world, I, I want a, a duvet day, or do you wear your sort of leopard print sort of uh, slightly glam ones for your sort of more kind of happier days, you know, even though you're not actually going anywhere, but they're quite nice around the house, but they're not out out pants. Or do you wear your sweatpants because you're feeling really positive and they're my, let's get out there and sort the world out. Or do you wear your sort of, you know, go away world pajamas or, you know, so there's been a kind of lockdown, lockdown fashion, I think, which has been quite interesting of, of sweats and leisure leisure wear so it will be interesting to see what everyone's wearing when when we all do finally get out there I mean there are there are trends obviously there's things going on I I feel it might go quite glamorous now because people feel that they need need a bit of that after all this sort of very low-key there's that saying that yeah look good on the outside feel good on the inside so I think yeah Yeah, I love the idea dressing up and everyone kind of yeah, yeah. going to town perhaps we need a bit of glamour. perhaps we need a few stilettos out there perhaps we need a bit of you know glamour again because it has all been quite non-fashionable hasn't it because we've all been at home so yeah it's going to be really yeah I'm, I'm excited to see people kind of you know, branching out and, and experimenting with sort of going outside how um due to the large majority of garments being made in china um it was fashion was the one industry that was hit very early by the pandemic because of China yes. lockdown. What was the first to lock down, which has led to, I guess, like a buildup of stock. Do you think this could be the end of fast fashion where we see the spring and summer collection in the shops in like in the winter and then the winter coats and jackets on the rails in the summer? How else do you think? Um, I think there'll always be seasons because that's what it is a business. I mean, it, it's a, a multi-billion pound business i think something like one in seven um or it might even be as high as one in four what no one in six british jobs are in the fashion industry so yeah so we have to look at it for what it contributes to our industry our our, uh, economy and we have to protect it so by raising seasons, that, that's sort of erasing our, um, our ability to create, you know, revenue and jobs and keep people in, in, in jobs. So, no, I don't think the seasons will be given up simply because it will be per- perpetuated by those people who work in the industry because they need that new canvas every so often to be creative with. It doesn't mean it necessarily that it will be any more extravagant because within the boundaries that we, we've just discussed, you can still have those seasons. Um, but a coat now, a well-cut coat and a well-designed coat can be fashionable for many years. So people might just start to buy, ex- not expensive, but more statement pieces, and it can be from the charity shop, but more sort of statement, classic or um, long, lasting adaptable garments that they can wear for many years to come i think we're getting away from the throwaway primarily kind of business model of fashion where people could buy well you you must know i've been to primark we've all been there um you can you can walk out the shop spend 20 quid and come out with eight things you know or even more i don't know I think that business model has to go because I think consumers, we are actually quite saturated. I mean, I don't know about you, but 
how many jeans do you need? How many shoes do you need? How many boots do you need? You know, it gets to a point where I think we're all a bit overfaced. So I think our consumer habits will change accordingly and be better for it. I mean, I was interviewing Jane Shepherdson from My Wardrobe HQ, fabulous woman, CEO of it. Um, and she's got Meghan Merkel as the patron and, well, for one of the charities, actually. But what My Wardrobe HQ do is they are a shop that hires people's wardrobes. So people can put their whole wardrobe in there and other people can rent it. So they can rent the little white Chanel dress for the night and then bring it back. And then, so, so, so you are kind of like getting away from this racking up huge sort of expenses, buying things all the time. And obviously the huge mountains of excess from seasons, as you mentioned, seasons that are left over that, that manufacturers and designers have somehow got to get rid of. Um, so I, I do think that's one way the industry is adapting is, is looking at hiring clothes and that's, think, that's such a great way of doing it. I totally so if you agree. want that little coat, you know, your friend's wearing that fabulous coat, you know, you wear it the next night and someone else wears it the night after. It's, it's brilliant. I think. I couldn't agree more. I love the idea of moving more towards a, a service and a, a renting based kind of economy yes. where things where material, good quality, high quality things that are, are made to last or have this yes. ability to be yeah shared and shared. loved by so many people it, it makes it so much more fabulous i think i think it i does. Really love this idea and i wanted to well, if you know you're wearing the dress that alexa chung wore la last year you might be quite you know get a bit of a buzz to think oh i'm wearing the same dress as alexa chung or whoever it is and you know and not just because you think they're so wow you might not it's just the very fact that you have access to it and you can give it a, a, a run on the tiles the same as they can, you know, and then hang it back up again. I think it, it's a great sort of way of, uh, of utilising and sharing what's already around rather mm -hmm. than keep adding to the mountains. Absolutely. And I think it, it goes back to this um, talking about Primani and, and sort of building things to last, I guess. There's this, this element of I have this real dilemma where I want to buy things that are that are local that have like a really low carbon footprint where that supports people with really great workers rights and I'm not having a negative impact on the environment but then there's I have this this horrible kind of pang at the back of my mind where I think what about the, the workers in India who literally this is their living to make I guess yeah. low quality very quick single stitched garments and without yes. that without that industry what are they going to do I think there's I think I heard like a statistic on the on the radio. I think it's thirty percent of India's GDP is from garments, and I just think, oh, where are those? If if we do I have know. this, I just I wonder how how can we balance that? Well, so, it's funny actually because there are brands that that are quite ahead of the curve on that. As a model agent, I worked with a company called BAM B A M, and they manufacture sporting clothes but other clothes as well mainly sportswear including beautiful socks and, and uh, absorbent socks and everything out of bamboo instead of cotton mm -hmm. and I thought that was such a good I mean at the time that I was working with them probably five or six years ago I, I didn't really understand it more than just a novelty but now I completely understand um, because it performs just as well as cotton it doesn't it needs half the land uh, cotton needs to produce the same amount of fiber and it doesn't need the irrigation or the pesticides because of course natural fibers such as silks and cottons they absorb uh, 
so much more of pesticides, chemicals, you know, um, detergents, bleachers, strong acids, alkalis, dyes, leveling agents, everything that we need. Whereas something natural like bamboo just grows and it, and it can be harvested in, into beautiful, I call it cotton t-shirts, but really some of the best quality sportswear I've ever had. Um, they used to send it to me, which is lovely. I wish they'd come back and work with me actually, because I'm missing it, but I'll go online and buy it. But another part of their ethos is to um, ensure every person in the supply chain, getting back to your comments about India, is fairly treated and treated with dignity. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of brands um, that are now smaller, smaller brands actually that I know of. I don't, I can't speak for the big brands, but the ones I've worked with, there's another company called, I'm not, never sure how to pronounce it, Babgen or something, B-A-U-K-J-E-N. And um, again, you know, she's very um, fair about where she sources her materials from, the, the people in the supply chain. And um, I think that's, you know, they have to go back beyond just fabric production to the source of the materials and the workers. So there is this more organic, I don't mean organic in the way we're talking about it, but organic business plan mm-hmm. rather than just a pyramid one that, that, that they're looking after everybody in it. So that, that sort of reflects the times we're in as well. I think not just using the right materials. I think you've kind of answered my next question because I was going to say, is there going to be a move away from synthetic materials that we know release microplastics into the ocean and move towards more natural materials such as linens and, and I sort of, linen and cotton, I know, are, are quite sort of conventional natural materials, but hemp and, and bamboo, they're, they're sort of, they're really rising. I mean, I can't, I can't put on socks uh, that aren't bamboo socks that I have now because I'm like, they're not as soft. <laughs> I've really... already used bamboo socks. That's lovely. I That's love lovely. Them. So it's, yeah, and they, they are much nicer, I think, than cotton. Mm. I mean, cotton traditionally was used for towels because it absorbs twice its weight in water, but it also similarly needs gallons and gallons of it to mm. manufacture it. Um, so, yes, I, I, I agree completely. If we can... If we can it's, a, it's a double-edged sword because paradoxically you're saying stick to the natural fabrics. So you're saying about the cottons and the linens, but then the, the production on those, as discussed, is quite they're more susceptible to absorption of these chemicals, pesticides, et cetera, that they need. Um, as for nylons, um, it's funny, actually, I did this, I did an A-level in fashion, fabrics and textiles. I'm going completely back to that now. But nylon, which was discovered in New York and London at the same time, we fought over who was going to get the name. So they called oh, it wow. nylon, New York and London. Um, oh, really? I didn't Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's made out of coal, air and water, which is why you can't recycle it. So you heat it up and then if you, if you melted a, a nylon dress or something, one of those horrible scratchy nighties uh, that your grandma wore, um, it would just go, it would never disappear. It would just go into a hard bead and then that has to go into landfill. So nylon, I think, is the ultimate enemy. Hmm. Um, but, th- but then I'm not technically savvy enough to know what the the kind of trade-off is against that and the natural fibers as discussed i mean bamboo seems to be the way forward i'd say in that one area oh yeah i think from the sort of the research and the the surface knowledge that i think i've I've been able to gain it's it just seems like a win-win because not only is it soft it's breathable it grows so quickly and it's super sustainable and like you said uses so much less water and needs so much little space it's brilliant yeah 
So cotton, cotton for fabrics is a very high water and, and carbon footprint and it's very intensive on land. But I can't also help not think about sort of cotton wool buds and, and what are they called? Earbuds. They have that little cotton wool bud on the end. Where do, that, where do I guess does all that go when, well, to land well, shop, I guess? it's a huge worry, isn't it? In fact, I stumbled across something on Amazon called Green Dodo and it's a recyclable, a, a reusable rather, a cotton wool pad. So wow. you can get a pack of 16 or 20 or something for about a tenner. And I bought them. I bought a few other brands as well, which weren't as good. And then this one came along, Green Dodo. And it comes this little bag. And what you do is you just chuck them in this bag all through the week. And then you put it in the washing machine. So um, I took them to Paris when I was on the catwalk. I used them when I travel. And you just stick them all in the little bag. And, and away they go into the washing machine. You use them again. I think that's really, really brilliant. Um, especially when you think of how many times you go to a hotel and it says don't put anything down the toilet how many things end up in the Thames so you know it's eco-friendly sustainable and of course saves you money doesn't it saves plastic saves money so yeah green dodo I thought it was a brilliant little idea and I, I'm definitely going to buy more sounds absolutely I, fantastic I yeah. just I think this is the future isn't it it's it's being able to reuse things that we buy and making sure that they don't just get reverted into landfill I'm gonna have to check them out because yeah I yeah, I'm I mean cotton wool you wouldn't expect that to be reusable would you so I think it's made of bamboo actually that's why it's reusable it's fantastic well bamboo is just brilliant the way forward isn't it absolutely oh how fantastic what another absolutely amazing exciting solution from you hazel thank you thank you yeah there's also been this trend i think was it 1994 that calvin klein made this movement to go fur free so there's been so much that i think the fast industry has been doing even yes. pre-covid to move towards more environmental yeah i mean as, as as far as the fur debate goes it's quite interesting because there is an argument towards vintage fur being mm. ethical have you heard this argument? Because it's recycled so many generations and so many people have worn it. Wow. Admittedly, it was killed in the first place, but there, there is an argument. It's not my own argument, but I've, I've read it in, I can't remember where, where people will say, yes, but that vintage garment is, is being worn over and over and over and over again. I think their argument was possibly that we shouldn't be killing any more animals because there's enough around that we could, mm -hmm. if people want to wear it, wear it. Um, but that fur debate's a whole separate argument, really. But as far as Calvin Klein goes, yeah, I mean, again, when was that? Was that like a decade ago or something that he was starting to do all that or longer? I think it was 1994 from what I could find. 1994. Could read. Mm. But since then, loads of, yeah, fashion houses. I've got a list of fashion houses. There was, yeah, DKNY 2019, Versace 2018, Michael Kors 2017, Gucci 2017, Giorgio Armani 2016. So all these amazing like household incredible brands all pledging to go fur free but I totally I kind of I can see this this fur argument um for, for vintage fur because it is it the animal has already been been killed and I think there's this element of respect that animal wear it with pride and uh, mm. since I've been plant-based and sort of been saying that I am vegan I I I struggle with the idea that I can't wear shoes that i've already bought that are leather mm -hmm. or a bag that exactly. i've got from a charity shop that's leather because otherwise that's going that's wasting more so there's well, this I, I agree with you if, if you've already got it in your wardrobe then wear it you know it's 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 not you know to pickle it, it, it i think is unethical 
it's not like you can reverse the process now, is it? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Stella McCartney, to be fair, was pretty ahead with all that. Um, of course, her mother, Linda, was a great, um, one of the first most pioneering public, um, I don't know whether she was vegan, but vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, but Stella's done brilliantly. I mean, her handbags, with all the tassels and all the kind of look of them, they, they, she's not trying to look like suede or leather. She's just created something completely unique that looks fabulous, that looks a bit like suede or leather, but looks very Stella McCartney as a trademark. And uh, good for her, you know, good for her. Absolutely. She was, she was really at the front, on the front line. And even though she's got a famous dad and all the rest of it, I do believe she has talent and she's, she's earned her place there. You know, you can, you can be given a leg up the ladder or nepotism and all the rest of it, but you've got to sustain it. And she, she really has. I, I, I'm a big fan of Stella McCartney. I like her dresses too. Yeah, that's very beautiful. And I didn't realise in my night in my 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 brain that um Stella McCartney was Linda M and Paul McCartney's daughter. That <laughs> that's a great oh, yes. yeah. that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Oh, you're so young, Francesca. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that sounds really patronizing. No, no it's just cute funny. because to me that yeah, I mean Paul McCartney's uh I, I can completely understand why you wouldn't you wouldn't get that. Just makes me feel old, really. <laughs> no, she's a good girl. She's a good girl. She's been very innovative. But going back, I mean, to the 80s, Catherine Hamner, to be fair, the 80s are sort of synonymous with the throwaway uh, consumer excess decadent decade of Margaret Thatcher and bankers and everything. You know, I mean, it, it was a very, um, I mean, I was around then, you know, even in food and gardening, it was a sort of spray everything and kill it attitude, you know, or consume it. Um, but getting back to fashion and, and um, eco-friendly and, and sustainability and conservation, Catherine Hamnett, I don't know whether you've ever heard of her. I mean, she's way before your time, but Catherine Hamnett was the one who put all the big slogan t-shirts out. So wham, George Michael wore like, you know, choose life. You know, the white t-shirt on these jumping, the famous sort of iconic um, uh, video of him. She, she was the first to put political comments across t-shirts and she got a CBE in the end, um, which re rewards contributions to um, science, work with, um, with welfare organizations, public sectors and fashion. So she, um, she got a, a CBE for her contribution. Um, and she was one of the first to do, to mention Choose Life or um, other, other big sort of, I mean, Naomi Campbell wore one with Wear a Condom written on it and Peace, you know, that they were very in-your-face slogan t-shirts. And they, she was the one who, who stood out and was way ahead of her time. I think it's, so, it's um, I love yeah. this, the idea to use to use fashion and the power of celebrities and influencers now to push those yeah. to push those ideas and and, uh -huh. and movements forward. I think there's there's something so powerful there to be able to use one's clout to to kind of get good messages across. I think that's that's what's amazing. With them, um, yeah, it feels like a bit of a minefield out there. As we were saying, like we want to buy ethical, we want to buy local want to buy sustainable things that are well made but there, there are some people out there that obviously they can't afford they don't have the privilege of being able to to shop sustainably and primark is probably the only place that they can go and buy things for their for their kids it's, yes it, it's really it's it's difficult but i think there's 
I keep coming back to, to this thought that the, those of us that can afford to spend that little bit extra in all sorts of sustainable products, whether it's whether it's beauty, fashion, uh, makeup, um, household cleaning products, that we have the, if we can use our ability and our extra little bit of extra capital to do so without sort of putting ourselves in a worse position financially, then that is that that's great but for those of us and then hopefully maybe that will reduce demand for for um for products that aren't as sustainably or ethically made but so then people who do need the 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 cheaper products can then i guess have that that have those have that that price element and then it that will still be able to provide people in in india and other low-income countries with those jobs but I think there's, I still have this this sort of dilemma in my mind of of how the how the systems and the mechanisms and the logistics will be able to kind of move the whole the whole industry forward, so we can gradually transition away from these kind of these detrimental impacts socially and environmentally. But I um, it, it just feels like a bit of a minefield for me. In with, you know, I I think I think it's a chicken and egg situation. Mm. The fashion industry at the end of the day is a business. And I think that sustainability is imperative. If anything, it's the consumer who's driving it. So if they want to stay in business, they have to supply um, eco-friendly, sustainable clothes to people with a conscience because it's because that, that is, that is the trend that fashion is jumping on, mm. whether they're doing it because of, of being, they want to, perpetuated successful business um as we say one in seven people work in it or whether they are doing it out of conscience and ethics i think they're marrying the two at the end of the day it's a very smart business it makes billions of pounds for the economy and it is riding that wave of sustainability and it is now coming up with these ideas i mean the british fashion council for example who are behind um london fashion week and paris i mean i was in paris doing the catwalk myself in in january um because it goes milan then paris then london um and i managed to do my live shows just before um it was it was all sort of stopped that was the last big job i had actually um but to be fair to the british uh, fashion council they they are now they are backing uh, startups that are green <clears throat> they are um they're, they're really trying to help small businesses who are starting out um, to reduce impact? Their help. That anyone that's reducing their impact and, and trying to um, create sustainability and look after people in the in the process chain. You can actually go to the British Fashion Council as a startup, and they will back you. They will even advise you how to talk to your customers about sustainability and how to market things accordingly. So they are they are definitely. Um, very proactive towards um, getting the message out there and making the industry as sustainable as possible. I think it, it's very much what people want to do. Um, so when I say chicken and egg, you were sort of saying it was a bit, not hopeless, but you were sort of saying, oh, I don't know how, how it's going to work because we have mm -hmm. this, this, this situation. But it, I think the fashion industry has listened and it's listened and it's put its money where its mouth is and vice versa. And if it wants to survive and it wants to go forward, it's going to have to go along this trend. And I think it wants to as well. I think there's a lot of very um, ethical, eco-conscious people in fashion. That's so, so, great that, so it's, it's, 
Yes, it is. Yeah, I think it's ahead, ahead of the trend, dare I say. Yeah. Because it, will want, it, it wants to do this, you know. Um, they're looking at better ways in sourcing to uh, reducing their impact. And uh, places like Europe actually have been quite ahead. I mean, Norway has been very ahead as well. Um, other countries have, have been quite ahead. They lead, lead the way with the mantra that sustainability isn't really optional. It's imperative. So uh, whether fashion likes it or not, people people are demanding it. Well, I love this the 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 people power and and uh, empowered purchasing is a, it's a huge part of um of the school program to try and raise awareness yeah. about how we have we have the power as consumers to demand through yeah. industries what we want. So that that's oh that's, yeah. that's so great to hear you say all those things because I find two sides of my brain and the arguments just pulling each other and I can get completely and utterly I don't know what to do <laughs> we're, in, we're in a we're in a process and sometimes you can't rush it it's mm -hmm. it's like any uh changes big changes we're making to the educating people whether it's black lives matter or or sustainability in fashion people need education um before they can see the right way of doing things so it, it's a work in progress, but it's definitely, definitely being picked up on um, in the industry. I mean, as I said, you know, we've got things like the repair workshop on TV now. We've got people doing crafts again with sewing machines. I mean, this is almost like going back in time. Mm -hmm. um, to, it's as if we've had some sort of time out from all of this consumer, consumer, you know, manufacture everything in China, pile it high, sell it cheap. We've had a bit of time out from that now, and I think people are getting back in touch with growing their own vegetables, you know, making their own things, and being more aware, um, not to be just machines consuming everything. So I think there's a lot of hope around. I think it's a very positive change. No, oh, it's brilliant. And I just, yeah, just to pick up on the word you said, machines, there's that, um, a documentary on BBC4, I believe, called Machines which um, oh. I think I watched it in 2018, but it's come back around on the BBC, saw it on iPlayer. Okay. And um, it's all about the, um, literally the massive machines and the, the textiles um, industry yeah. in, I think in Gujarat in India. It's absolutely, yeah. it's fascinating, it, it's harrowing, but it, it really, it was one of the things that really hit home for me as well as the, the documentaries, I believe, what's the true cost and, and stink exclamation mark. They're talking about sort of all the, the things that have, have sort of brought the fashion industry to where it is now and I love what you said about yeah. that we're, we're going back because when my mum she she loves her fashion and she, she won awards in the, in the in her charity shop for for raising the most money because she had this fashion section of vintage range at the back and you sounds you great said, your mum I want to meet her oh yeah. yeah I think you guys would get on like a house on fire but you she said she's goes, South African or something yeah uh, she's from Yorkshire she's my, South... my father's oh, South she's South... New York. oh yeah yeah, yeah. But she, um, common then. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she'd always say fashion cyclical, fashion, everything, it always comes around again and, yeah. and things it kind does. of. Hmm. Don't throw anything away. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> funny because I had this really lovely dress. I can't remember the designer now, someone massive. I can't remember, but it, it was a lot of money. I, oh, why can I never remember this guy's name? It's one particular designer I can never remember. And it was like this leopard skin kind of little silky dress that I absolutely adored. And um, my, I was so pleased and my daughter got it out of my wardrobe when she was about 18 and she was going to some school event. And I said, oh, wow, um, you're wearing, what's the name? I ah, wish I could remember his name. It's a really famous name. You don't know the one who's synonymous with all the um, I want to say Michael skin. Kors? 
not, not quite, but sim- similar. Um, anyway, so she put it on. I said, what are you doing? She goes, it's a fancy dress. I'm going as Freddie Flintstone. <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset. It cost me like a lot of money, that dress. But I was still glad to see it used. I was like, great, get it on. Here's your club. <laughs> it was just funny I got but Georgia yeah keep everything keep everything no, 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 no I, i'm sorry it's a really famous one and I, I can never remember him but he's uh i'll remember him soon yeah so just keep everything because your mum would say oh, i love that in. yeah love to chat a bit about your life behind the model um to talk oh, gosh, about sort okay. of yeah, what just the real people behind the modelling industry because there's so much. I think there's the sort of the is it the prejudice or the sort of the assumption of of the modelling industry that yeah sort of, I think it, there's when I was doing some reading it used to be cool to be cruel but now it's cool to be kind and sort of like the evolution yeah. of how yeah what your experiences and. Yeah, the the where did you read that? Was that specifically about the modelling tra- tra- industry? Was it? I think it was. It was Charlie Howard. I think she does a a podcast. Um, oh, interesting. Um, I'll I'll look that up because I like that. That's very true. Yeah. Um, it used to be a lot more cutthroat, and now people are just kinder to each other. I thought it was just because I was getting older. Because I was in Paris backstage, and everybody was like, you know, twenty two and all amazing looking and everything. And I, and then someone offered me a chair. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Um, but it wasn't for that reason. It was just because I, I had to wait in line for the makeup artist. But I thought, hey, I'm okay. I don't need a chair. Thank you, Johnny. I'm on next. But uh, it was just quite funny. But no, I mean, at one point, you, you just wouldn't get that. You know, you wouldn't get any kind of interaction. People were way too cool and too, you know, it was a very sort of brusque environment and very dog eat dog. So it's nice to see that. Uh, that change and that shift but again our industry is based on fashion fashion reflects times it's Mm -hmm. as simple as that so when it was cutthroat and and people were very competitive and uh, uh, not particularly kind to each other that was that was when we had a very affluent society and it was it was all consumerism the 80s you know early 90s it was thatcherism and, and uh fashion just reflects that it was grab 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 me me i you know so um, it wasn't it wasn't a very nice industry then, but the money was good and, and the lifestyle was was interesting. So you just had a I, I just had a mercenary attitude to it really, and just did what I could and got out. You know, you have to be very headstrong. I think that resilience, determination, and I think self belief are things that you I've I've heard you talk about. Well, it's funny. I never felt I had any of those. I think what I did have was I I was just a bit kind of. I'd like to think I was a nice person. I just sort of didn't really get terribly involved. I probably wasn't competitive enough. Life just sort of, it just all came at me and I just, every, anything that was thrown at me, I just did. I didn't, I wasn't very proactive. Uh, my agent just told me what to do and I did whatever they told me. So um, I hid behind them a bit really. But yeah, I mean, you don't always have to uh, go with other people's ways, mores, values. You know, you can, you can keep your own standards and uh self-respect and not you don't have to be like that whatever the decade i think and i just never never was like that really still not <laughs> power to you there's a such a huge lesson there not just for the modeling industry but for yeah. for young for young people just in life in general to to yeah believe in yourself yeah. and stick to your values and, yeah mm. 
Very much so. And, and I think because of the way social media is now, good and bad, um, there's the, everyone's got a voice. So everyone has the opportunity to say something, whereas it used to be very much just certain, certain people on TV, certain radios, certain channels, certain events, they had a voice. But um, now everybody has got a voice. So I think it's different. How you use it and whether you want to use it, I think are more intimidating perhaps, but, um, but at least there are platforms for you if you want to make a point and, and say something. Yeah, influencers, I think it's, um, I think I've heard you talk about how modelling and the industry has changed so much in terms of you don't normally yes. sort of go to an agency now, it's more like an, an yeah. influencing kind of famous persons. Yeah, I mean, the influencers now um, are running the whole whole show because if they've got, you know, 25k followers or whatever they have and a fashion company wants to put a garment on somebody, they're going to choose somebody with that amount of following over somebody with 600, even if the one with 600 is much better looking in, in their eyes for what they need, right for the brief, right for the, um, for the spec and better fit. They're still going to choose the one with the most followers because they can tweak it, they can edit it, they can make it right. So it's no longer just about the raw material. Um, in my uh, career, it was very much you are, a raw product you are just standing there as yourself and you were either right or wrong um, now and you have to be the certain height certain build all the rest of it but now with photoshop and with everything else and with the whole kind of plethora of media that we can broadcast on influencers are are running it you know they're they're rocking the business as far as product sales go and even model agencies have their models instagram followers published next to their page now wow it's it's kind of it's a, a different sector now that we have to almost yeah. be very wary of because this this idea yes. of of airbrushing and filters it can it portrays even more so the unrealistic image of what models and and fashion is all yeah. about to, to young to very yeah. to impressionable young people who and, yeah. and my and people my age and people older i'm sure who maybe uh yeah if, if you are feeling bad about yourself and and you're on instagram or facebook and you see this this perfect airbrushed beautiful model and you think oh no why is my yeah. life like, like this it's yeah it's something that i think we've got to be well to be, i would only hope that um people now have the common sense with all the, all the uh, apps you can get yourself to do all the effects on and all these funny little, you know, uh, things that you can do on, on your, on your Instagram or on anything. Now there's so much editing you can do. There's so many things you can add. There's so many filters, all the rest of it. I would just hope people fully accept that nothing's real anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, it would be nice if everyone just went back to natural. It really would. Because yeah, I think it, it's, yeah, I mean, it, you know, again, modeling traditionally was very natural. You turned up, you were what you were, and makeup artists changed you and the fashion came along and the hairdresser, but that was it. You know, there wasn't really any fancy effects apart from what skill the photographer had and the lighting. So in a way, it was far cleverer and far more creative than just doing it digitally. True. I think I love the... 
um, the analog age, I call it, when you sort of you have yeah. the camera reels and it was about oh, lighting gosh, yes. and, and angles. I worked in a cinema when I was after some studies when I was um, saving to go traveling, and they had the old um, the old film machine, and I just looked at it and I thought, oh, wow. this is beautiful. And looking at sort of, I go back to the Disney old school Disney movies when they're all painted by hand, and then you see the re the kind of like the re-engineered yes. ones, and it just to me I'm maybe it's because I'm a bit older I just I don't really it's not as beautiful to me it's taking like you say the, the creativity out of it okay. yeah but well, I just think we are people at the end of the day when you walk out in the street that's what you look like I mean I heard one of my friends whose kids are younger than mine and she said her daughter was getting ready with all her friends to go out like you all do pile in each other's houses bedrooms whatever and they're putting on their makeup and hairspray and all the rest of it. And the whole room stank of everything. You couldn't get in there for the ozone layer. <laughs> and then this girl suddenly had a complete nervo and said, I can't go out. I can't go out. And she was all of 17 or something. And her friends were like, why? Because I don't look like my pictures. And she spent an hour trying to look like, you know, an edited version of herself where she'd, she'd sculptured her waistline in and she'd made her eyes bigger and shaved her nose down and made her hair differently and put on huge long lashes and wiped all her skin out so you couldn't see anything apart from skin and eyes and huge lips and of course in reality no no one looks like that well some people do you know but you know what I mean so she was trying to look like a digital picture of herself that's how much her head was messed up Mm. that she couldn't go out because she couldn't live up to the image she projected out there it's um yeah when when you hear that suicide rates in in teenagers are going up and it it correlates with the kind of online social media presence it's um it's just it's it's horror it's 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 yeah it's just um there's something do you think that the suicides are going up because of image or do you think they're going up because we're living in very difficult times and there's a lot of negativity around generally Gosh, I imagine it might be a combination of all of them because I think as mm-hmm. as as we've become more online, we get news coming at us all the time. There's the ability to, as you say, digitally enhance ourselves, and then it feels like we have less time because we spend more time being bombarded by marketing and and negativity yes. and news. So it's it's yes. I, I imagine it, it, it's all three, but it's it's I feel there's definitely there's some education around there and sort of and body image and stuff that is I feel like it almost needs to be introduced into the education system without replacing other things that are important mm. in, in education it has the this digital world that we're going into and we're going to keep progressing into they're they're having having kind of like someone sort of sit there and say to you like it's okay to to like you say, have a duvet day where you're not so yeah, snazzy, yeah. primani, like less, yeah, yeah, less glam, tracky bottoms, and and feel okay. Yeah, I think when yeah. you, I heard you say that you um, people should allow themselves to feel their emotions. I think that's so yes. important. Uh, oh, absolutely! I I couldn't agree more. I mean, we have to. The whole reason we cry. Uh, and we have these emotions is, is it, I think it's a natural, um, I don't, don't quote me on this cause I'm not a doctor. Uh, I can't remember the, the medical thing that I read or the explanation, but tears have some kind of, uh, soothing effect, not just soothing, but I think there might even be some 
some release of some hormone or something, not a hormone, but there's something to do with crying. I can't, I can't tell you what it is right now. There'll be people shouting at your, your podcast because they know what the answer is. Um, but they're designed for a reason. We are brilliantly designed. The best piece of um, machinery you'll ever have in your life is yourself. <laughs> you know, if you think about how we function. So every emotion that we have, you can't just take a pill and, and brush it, dust yourself down, brush yourself off and go up off smiling. I don't agree with it. I think we really should feel our emotions. And if that means going under the duvet and crying and you've got good reason to, or even if you haven't, you know, I think that's very healthy because you'll come out feeling much better. Absolutely. Like my kids, when they were young and they had a tantrum, they used to take all their clothes off, lie on the floor and scream. And I thought, flipping heck, I had serious like envy because I thought I would love to do that. What a brilliant solution. Take all your clothes off, lie on the floor and scream until you laugh. <laughs> Literally, and then get up and feel laugh. marvelous and off you go, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine doing that in the workplace. <laughs> I think we're all going to be but it's giving it to emotions. <laughs> I mean, we can't all be perfect and sanitized all the time and dumbed down and, and, you know, putting on these masks. It's, it's just so not healthy. Mm. Speaking of healthy, can we talk about food? Yes. Let's talk about food, baby. <laughs> let's talk about you. <laughs> I love food. I love food. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's as good as, isn't it? <laughs> What's well, your favorite quite, yeah. thing to cook and how did you, when you were in, when your height of your modeling career and when you were sort of watching your image and how did you, how did you manage the, your weight? and Well, I realized, well, like most girls, I mean, I'm making vast sweeping generalizations here, but for the sake of argument, let's say most girls, I, I didn't really put on weight until I got to about 17, 18. I was always, well, not want to say most girls, what I mean is your body sort of adjusts through puberty and through teenage years and has all its fluctuations and all the rest of it and then you sort of hit a kind of level where you realize this is probably it and you've set to some sort of adult shape and I realized that because I'd eaten huge amounts all my life I was a very skinny athletic child and literally everyone used to just say where the heck are you putting it hollow legs and all this joke 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 you know because I was, I was five foot ten by the time I was about twelve so um, I couldn't eat enough to be honest. And then it started, I started putting on the weight around 18. I was like really pissed off. I was like, Hey, you know, why can't I have my, this, that, and the other. And so I, ha and then I, went, I started modeling. So it was this huge sort of problem because I thought I've got to be a certain way. I've got to look a certain way. So I was traveling a lot and I, I just through necessity wanted to eat as much as I possibly could without putting weight on. So I devised my own kind, I got really interested in cooking. And when you actually cook from scratch everything, you can get very creative. And before you know it, you're making quite healthy food. I mean, it always comes back to the same sort of style of eating that, that is healthy. I've never done diet, I've never been on diet. Don't believe in all these fatty things. I don't believe in cutting out you know, huge, big sort of, you know, like doing sort of like a high protein or a cut out all the carbs or whatever people do. I mean, it might work for some people. I just like balance. I also love eating. So I guess over the years, I just devised my own way of, of eating as much as possible in the, in the healthiest possible way. So it always gets back to the same things, greens, stir fries, you know, Asian style food. And I don't eat much salt. I don't eat much, um, 
I love olive oil. I'll eat copious amounts of that and I'll cook with it because A, it's delicious and B, it's really good for your skin, keeps you young looking. So I'll, I'll, I don't cut back on calories on that. But it always comes back to the same sort of style of eating. No one's going to say, eat pork pies and, and puff pastry. And, and you know what I mean? It's, it's going to be, it's going to get back to everything in its most natural form, the least tampered with as possible. Because I also eat for nutrition. I don't just eat for looks and weight at all. In fact, I'll say the opposite. I'll say I, I purely eat for nutrition and the rest takes care of itself. So the weight, mm -hmm. the, the sort of um, energy levels, all of that, skin, all the rest of it, is, it sort of falls in, in behind eating good, healthy, nutritional food. And usually you can eat more of it as well because it's greens and it's salads and it's veg. It's so, eating yeah. to and live. not so much protein. Pardon? Mm. Sorry, eating to live, not living to eat. That kind of, that flip of the perspective. Well, well, both really. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy, I really enjoy food. I mean, I can spend, you know, half the day just plotting what I'm going to make in the evening, you know. And a bit like the fashion thing, it's, it's down, sometimes it's just down to what's in the fridge and if you can make something out of it. Um, but yeah, no, I think nutrition should be top of the list, mm. way above calories, way above. I don't like the word diet. I'd like to think of it as more healthy lifestyle that I've had forever. And now it just takes care of itself. It's such an important, such an important message because it is, it's about putting the, the, yeah, the systems in place to ensure that the results that you want are the end result of, of, of a system yes. that, that you've created. Yeah. And I think getting to know your own body and not yeah, not Very looking true. at what someone else is doing, not comparing yourself to anybody else. Definitely one man me is definitely right. How I eat probably wouldn't suit everybody, but I cook for loads of people and everything I make is healthy and they all love it. You know, it's healthy, it's copious amounts and it, it, there's plenty of it. Um, I do like Thai, I love Asian. Uh, I love tofu. I'm making a lot of tofu at the mm. moment. Um, in fact, there's a, the, there's a girl on Instagram, the something vegan, I can't remember, but uh, follow, a friend follows her and sends me her recipes. Um, so satay sauces that you marinate. I get like lots of ginger and garlic and um, everything from little mustard seeds and the jello seeds, all these different things. I make all my own spices. If I make a curry, like a vegetable curry, I'll, I'll actually pound everything in a pestle and mortar. I'll toast the seeds on a low light till they pop and get the aromas out and I'll cut my own cardamoms up and fresh lemongrass or even just in a jar if you if it, you know if you can't get it but the things that most people cut out or take shortcuts with are the very reason things don't taste right so I'll have fresh herbs in there I grow my own herbs all the little things oh that's not necessary oh the lemongrass cut that out they're the very, they're the little tiny tweaks that make things successful I think so mm. don't cut them out yeah, to getting getting variety, but also yeah, the nutrition and and the taste and getting yeah. back to basics of of what it actually means to well, eat food. Well, some people you know put a lot of fat and restaurants in particular, fat and salt, high high fat and salt content is very satisfying to a human being. Mm. Um, but when you're cooking at home and you see what goes in, I mean, some recipes will call for like a satay sauce. They'll call for a load of sugar in it. I'll just cut that out. No one's any the wiser. I just refuse to pour sugar into a pan of healthy ingredients. I just can't do it. I mean, I might do a little bit of something um, or palm sugar or something, but in Thai food. But sometimes they put in 
gratuitous amounts of sugar and, and fat because it satisfies people. So once you've cut all that out, you have to sort of replace it. So in comes the chili, the garlic, the lemongrass, the fresh ginger grated up. And straight away, I'm thinking, wow, that tastes great. So you're not missing your salt because you, you're, subs you're putting in herbs and you're putting in your garlic and you're putting in these other ingredients. I mean, my store cupboard looks like, I mean, you could shop in there. It's, it's, I've got everything. You name it, I've got it. <laughs> From harissa to grandma salad to, you know, everything. I've just got everything. My son comes home, I've got Nampla sauce. I've got, you know, <laughs> he goes, Mom, your cupboard's great because he's now got the cooking bug. So uh, he comes and raids my cupboards. Yeah, and I've always got cans of chickpeas and everything, just basic stuff as well. So, yeah, I've got all the different flowers, gram flowers, coconut flour. My daughter is vegan, so I'll get all the alternatives, and they work very well. That's yeah, my a... big walk. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful message because it's, um, it's healthy, it's nutritious, and, and it's balanced. And I think, yeah, staying away from something. And you can grow it. Well, I mean, I, I think everyone should either get an allotment or grow their own vegetables. I think that's the way forward. I think we were talking, weren't we, at one point about, um, and I've forgotten his name again, the guy in uh, Quatre Saisons. We had this conversation on the phone, I think. Um, um, Raymond Blanc, is it? Raymond Blanc, yeah. And he grows, he has the most wonderful vegetable garden. I think you said you went there. And you can just walk through it and he just, it's literally idyllic. He's so French, he just sort of wanders around in his pristine white sort of chef outfit that looks like he hasn't done anything and just pulls out, you know, fabulous thing of homegrown beetroot or something and throws it in his basket and that's what everyone has for dinner. Um, that would be my ideal. I'd, I, I think growing your own veg is so on, on trend for the world and the planet and also so incredibly tasty. I mean, an organic carrot is incomparable to, I would never buy a normal carrot because when you taste the difference, one is just like a big lump of sort of cellulose -y kind of water and the other one tastes like a carrot, like you've gone back in time. So mm -hmm. I'm quite fussy about, when I say fussy, I'm very simple. It's the opposite of fussy by getting everything as, as naturally sourced as possible. No, I love, I just, I love what you say because it's, it's such a, it is it's getting like you say going back in time like the trend yeah we are, we're going back to yeah. our roots for lack of a better word yeah. and that coupled yeah. with a with with a healthy yeah. exercise and yeah yes. lots of water is is the ideal yeah. way to make sure that lots we're of water and also it's actually getting back you said earlier about primark um feeds the sort of supplies the kind of people who can't afford you know, to shop in the high street maybe, or, or you know, in a better in a shop. But they, you can dress very inexpensively. You can go to a charity shop. You can be, it's all down to what, how you see wearing clothes, whether you just want to throw something on to make yourself decent to go and buy a pint of milk, or whether you want to express yourself with those clothes. It is possible to do that from a charity shop. And in the same way, it's possible and, and highly uh, highly interesting and rewarding to eat healthily on a low budget it's so it's so affordable to eat healthy you've got all your pulses you've got all your grains you've got couscous although other countries that grow couscous and avocado that's another problem area now because their prices are going up I don't know whether you know about that because because we're all demanding our you know smashed avocado on toast um, but no you can eat very nutritionally uh, uh, nutritiously and inexpensively 
seasonally more so than buying meat and, and things yeah mm. i think um yeah i love that I, I love the vegan movement for the the welfare of animals people and planet but it is it does like everything it will have a negative impact like you say with the the avocados yeah. uh, sort of and then yeah. i believe there's 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 even a cartel of avocados or something like there's there's, yeah. this, there's this war between so there's just there's so many there is there's an up and a down to everything and i think it's about finding that balance yeah. and, and finding out what you can do but there are so many i'd love to talk about um the Tompkins because they they're an incredible um power couple billionaire who made their money in the fashion industry and what they're doing for nature i, I don't actually know who the Tompkins are sorry pardon my ignorance oh, no, no, it's them um, the 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 poor, poor, paul lister paul lister met them Tompkins, I wasn't aware of that. I know Paul. Paul's a personal friend of mine. Um, he's probably mentioned Tompkins somewhere, but I haven't met them. Um, Paul is the son of Noel Lister, who was the MFI um, furniture manufacturer who sort of saturated the British market in the 70s with um, flat pack furniture. And everybody had these everywhere, you know, kitchens. And it was very, very um, revolutionary in its time. And he inherited, or could have inherited with, with his sister, Penny, um, this sort of huge sort of wealth. But what he's chosen to do instead is he realized, because I went to see him actually as a talk um, when his dad died, I went to his dad's funeral. Um, and he was saying that he just has a conscience and he's not um, interested in being a businessman. He accepts that he's not a businessman. And he, he decided he wanted purpose and to create a legacy instead of just consuming and he, um, he set up, he bought a place in Scotland where I was fortunate enough to be a guest called Allerdale Wilderness Reserve. And it's right in the middle of the Scottish Highlands. And he runs all sorts of programs there like rewilding, ecotourism. Um, he has kids going there um, for Highland outdoor wilderness living. And he teaches them things like, well, not him personally, but kayaking. You've got kids from inner cities going up there and running around, um, jumping in and out of streams and boats. And, and I think because some of it literally is a wilderness, the SAS have, have used it to train there as well. Oh, wow. So he, he's really very uh, creative and, and a great philanthropist, a wonderful man. And he's, he's doing, doing so much. And he, um, he's helping red squirrels in Scotland. He's uh, helping wild cats in Scotland. Um, of good grief, I've just got an email from him now. It just came <laughs> up on the screen. Um, and he's also, he, he's passionate because he's English and he's passionate about Europe, so Romania and places, because a lot of our uh, conservation, uh, when people talk about it, they focus a lot on America and the Americas and Asia. Um, so he, he, in Africa, I think he's, he's putting his heart and soul into um, local England and uh, and, and Europe, uh, beavers, wild bears, um, you know, he's trying to conserve and, and help. And he's got some, he's got some wonderful, um, wonderful organizations such as Tent. And he also makes films um, and he shows them at, at BAFTA, you know, on Piccadilly. I was fortunate enough to go to one of those. He does events. So yeah, he's a really creative, innovative, inspirational, eccentric character who's doing the world of good for the world you know, we all need a few more a few more poor listers around i think he we um, do we do we do he, he's great fun as well 
Yeah. He, um, I believe where I got Tompkins from, did he do um, a documentary with the, the couple who made a lot of money um, through Esprit and some other fashion brands? And they, they oh, built... yes, no, he did. I'm so sorry. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. But a light bulb moment. I, I always think of it as Paul Lister because I know him, I suppose. Um, but yes, of course he did. And he does, he does um, bring out the best in uh, uh, wealthy, successful people who want to, like him, leave a legacy and create um, some purpose in their lives other than just being super wealthy and spending it on themselves, I guess. So he's a philanthropist and he does a lot of good and he's inspirational. So yeah, I highly amazing. recommend his website. Yeah, Alladale. Alladale. Just wonderful. And tent. Yeah, tent is it's the the European um, National um, uh, Wildlife Trust or uh, um, yes. Nature Trust. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and he's got some really great people um, running that as well. Some really up and coming and established uh, talent in there. So he does pick people well. He does collect people. He's a collector of. Uh, he's a philanthropist <laughs> and collector of of people that he feels are like minded. I guess, and he attracts them. Wow. It's wonderful. And it shows that there's in in the the huge industry that fashion is, there is there are people there who are involved who are doing so much yes. good, like buying, I think is it ten million acres or something of land in, in the Americas to dedicate it yep. towards conservation. So it's just yes. it, it, I mean phenomenal. I mean the fact that he has chosen to do that is awesome, you know, and we need more people like that really that are prepared to use their their position to create a better lifestyle for others who who wouldn't otherwise be able to that's a it's a beautiful note to end on i feel we've covered like so much and i could talk to you for, for hours and I set the world out. sorry francesca I no not out. at all i mean i was just thinking do you have from when you studied english do you have any lessons from chaucer or shakespeare that, that you think that young people or anybody listening of any age could sort of relate Gosh. to just to get through I think, the hard times? I think a lot of classic literature, including the Bible, funnily enough, is universally allegorical. That's the term I'd use for it. That means it's as relevant now as it always was. The greatest lesson I think we can learn is that nothing really changes. I mean, measure for measure, for example, is all about man judging man and the hypocrisy of judges and not literally professional judges, but people. Um, if you look at um, if you look at the Austins, if you look at um, most classic literature, what always strikes me is that people were just as greedy, just as house proud, just as socially ambitious, just as uh, worried about what they look like then as they are now. And I think if anything, we just learn that human nature is human nature and our needs and our needs are still the same. And you read about the gossip and you read about this one and that family. And, and it, it's quite, it, it's quite interesting how little does change. You think, oh, we've all learned so much and we've all develop so much but sometimes I wonder if we have at all that's very that's very beautiful actually because I think it takes for me that takes off so much pressure of of trying to kind of 
maybe break the mold and i think in in so many ways we do need to break the mold of of kind of what has come in the past because sort of the the business models that have made us sort of successful up until now have to be radically rethought but i think the what we were talking about about the social aspect of people thinking that their life it their lives are are not as good as someone else's highlight reel on a social media account it's we're all going through the same the same things and we all have the same worries the same pressures and if anything that's what makes us human and we should embrace that and work together rather than i think we should embrace our fallibilities and limitations i think we're expect too much is expected of us now if you think about it we've got five or six different worlds running parallel we've got our phone we've got facebook we've got linkedin we've got this zoom chat we've got i've got an email that just popped up a little bit from paul lister funnily enough i should read it mm-hmm. shouldn't i um but we've got all these parallel universes uh, in our phone just in our phone in our hand at any one time we're multitasking you could be just sending a whatsapp while reading your facebook while checking out instagram while doing your emails while talking to someone else in the room i mean our brains are overloaded i think i think we just need to some clarity back really and just to accept our limitations be a bit kinder to one one another and um and not feel inadequate all the time if we're if we're overwhelmed by the job in hand but just to do our absolute best each and every one of us and pull together and be kind Mm -hmm. just be kind to one another that's all we can do oh hazel that's so beautiful Thank you so much for your time. But I'm sure it's the same for other 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 faiths and and agnostics as well. Just be kind. Mm -hmm. If if everyone was just kind and treated others as as they want to be treated, the world would be a better place. Absolutely. Oh wow! If someone was to um, wanted to look you up or find your website, where would they be able to find you? Well, Instagram Hazel Englander is my is my main one. I'm I'm terribly lazy on social media. I, I do intend. I keep saying this. Um, take a leave. I should take some of my own flipping advice and not be overwhelmed by everything and get on with it. Um, I need to develop my social media. So it'd be great if people could follow me on, on Hazel England uh, Instagram and also What the 50 podcast, which is also on uh, iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts from, really. Uh, if you could give me, a, if you could subscribe, doesn't cost anything, just to tick the subscribe box. And um, yeah. That, that's really my two platforms. Amazing. And Now Models is your, is, that's your website? Now Models is the agency, which is an acronym for North of Watford, because I started it when I was back in uh, Cheshire, Wirral. Um, so I called it North of Watford, and then it became Now Models when I moved down south. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's still going as well. And I offer makeovers. I'm, I'm offering catwalk experiences for ordinary uh, women I might do men at some later stage but it's, it's mainly women at the moment makeovers my niece by the way is on glow up on BBC iPlayer and it's coming onto the main main channel as well Eve Jenkins and she's a fantastic makeup artist she's my obviously my sister's little girl and she's um she's so creative and brilliant with her makeup and she's going to be coming on the podcast and teaching over 50s how to look the best they can for themselves and for any age doesn't matter what age you are but just to make the best of yourself Mm, age is age is just a number yeah I think that's another thing that we need to sort of work on in society is um not caring what people think yeah 
Yeah, terribly. I mean, it's, it's so true. You know, some people are old at 25. Some people are hilarious at 80. You know, it depends on the character and the personality. It's not just the age. You don't get necessarily get better with age um, and vice versa. So, yeah, it is just a number. But um, how, how's your, how's your um, podcast? Going? I mean, how's your, how's your light doing? Tell me about your light. How's it all going? Because you designed it, didn't you? I didn't design it. I just I'm working oh, on the, the school program, um, sort of uh-huh. helping young people to be able to access it. But it's we're actually going through a rebrand at the moment, so very exciting times to come. So hopefully there, yeah, there will be some. Tell me just again. I'm sorry, I'm interviewing you now, but just t- remind me again succinctly what it is because I was trying to describe it to someone yesterday, and it's not. Tell me what it is, how it works. It's a, a small solar light that has been specifically designed to replace a kerosene lamp in, in low-income countries, especially Africa, um, right. where young people at school and, and their families, they literally use either like an old jar or an old food tin can filled with kerosene, um, which right. is a, a fossil fuel similar to, to jet engine fuel. And they literally, yeah, they have a, a wick if if they can if they have and yeah they just they literally get their light from setting the the kerosene on fire and um yeah the the school program is specifically to get the solar light into hands of children um in africa and other low-income countries so they can study without having the harmful pollutants and um yeah the negative health consequences did you ever follow up on plan the charity i mentioned because i i sponsor these three kids in africa or one's a little girl actually in el salvador but i used to have three in africa i've got two in africa now they must be looking for things like this you know they go out there and what the great ethos behind plan is that they they teach villagers to be self-sufficient so they withdraw once they've given the tools and educated them on the tools to, to sustain themselves they then withdraw it's not just like a bottomless pit of charity and I'm sure they'd be looking for things like lights because they, you know, education, water, housing, yeah. everything. Absolutely. They're on, um, when we're finished with the rebrand, we've got a big outreach that campaign that we're going to do and okay. I've, I've put plan on there. So it's um, yeah, a beautiful oh. organisation that I would encourage anybody to, yeah, like you. Well, have. they have events and things. So you'll have to come to my next event or when the, oh. their next event when they invite me because they invite the sponsors along once a year or something. We all go along. Um, and also Paul Lister I'd love to introduce you to so I think he'd really love your your ethos well done on it all thank you so much yeah we'll get there there's um yeah there's education is is the key I think the one of the key one of the quotes that I'm that has inspired the whole project Nelson Mandela if you want to change the world you have to change education and I think it's um everything is um, education it is education and yeah you've educated me so much on uh, just this this last hour and a bit talking about yeah fashion and and Stella McCartney being Linda McCartney's daughter <laughs> this is so many things and oh no it's, yeah it's, you're such Thank a you. well I've really enjoyed it you've asked some great questions I was just pleased I was able to answer them they're pretty good questions actually it threw me a bit at the end with the shorts of Shakespeare but I managed to answer it <laughs> So well, so the grey matter have been festering around the house far too long during lockdown. So it was nice. It was really lovely to uh, to come on your podcast and such a great worthwhile cause. And thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Hazel. It's just been an absolute pleasure.